Welcome to Suddenly I'm a Leader, the podcast. I'm Ann Davis of the RACGP. My guest today is Dr. Natalie Payne, an alumna of the Futures Leaders Program. She's here to share her leadership experience on managing conflict and those power struggles. Natalie, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me today, Anne. So becoming a leader has so many different aspects and one of them tends to be that responsibility for managing conflict. Why do you think people are so afraid of conflict? I think conflict is a really, I mean, naturally uncomfortable place for a person to be and that's a physical thing with the impact of adrenaline during conflict or managing other people's conflict and how that makes us feel, but also mentally and the potential risk that we carry for relationships between friends, but also with colleagues, and I suppose our reputation as well with people that we spend time with. So conflict is a really difficult thing to traverse, and I don't think anyone really wants to be doing that. And if they do, they might have a personality disorder. (laughs) Yes, yes. So I think you're right. It's not necessarily the conflict itself. It's all those other elements that are around that, that you mentioned, the relationships and reputation. Do you think that there is this expectation that because you're the leader, you're the one that needs to resolve the conflict? I think so. I think that in many settings, as a GP, people look to us to have an extra set of skills or perhaps greater skill in different areas that encourages them to think that we are able to manage situations that they themselves aren't managing well or can't see a way out of. So I think it's really natural that people look to us to do that for them. I guess I know for myself, different situations of conflict, I will have different feelings about them. How do you feel in the face of conflict? Yeah, I agree that it really does vary, doesn't it? I think it depends on whether the conflict is something that I was expecting and could have predicted or whether it's a surprise to me. So particularly if I was personally involved in conflict, if somebody approached me in an aggressive manner and I wasn't expecting it, I would feel really surprised and highly uncomfortable and probably get quite a surge of that fight or flight instinct. And I can imagine that my heart rate would go up and I would think, oh my goodness, where has this come from? How do I get out? I mean, that's just really difficult to manage if you haven't had time to think and plan about how you would respond. But if it's a conflict that you could foresee, so for example, if you see a patient that's on your list for the day that you need to have a difficult conversation with or someone that you've had conflict with in the past or you might have some staff members that aren't getting along well that you need to interact with and you can tell that that's going to be a challenging conversation. I think then I feel quite differently. I probably steal myself for it and prepare and think, well, this is not going to be pleasant, but I'm going to very actively manage myself and remain calm and think about how we can best navigate away towards less conflict. So yeah, I agree with you. It does depend on the situation. And also just listening to you, it sounds like when the conflict is between two other people, we can set ourselves separate to the conflict. And I think adopting that external 
role actually makes it easier. Whereas, as you said, when it's you as an individual involved with the conflict, it is very hard to step away and even see the big picture of a conflict, although that's probably a good thing to do, isn't it? Yeah, being able to step aside and see both viewpoints is such a beneficial strategy for being able to manage conflict, whether it's personal or not. I mean, I guess that's one of the things about conflict that's really uncomfortable as well is that it makes you question your own values and whether your viewpoint is a valid viewpoint that you should be fighting for. So if you're sitting back and watching two other people fight for their viewpoint, you know, there's less personal risk. One of the parallel topics or parallel points is the power struggles, but maybe not even struggles, but just understanding where the power lies with the people within the conflict. And obviously, you know, talking about two people, we would have, you know, a opportunity to look at where their power lies. And I guess we also need to be considering, you know, with that power, the different types, the positional power, and then the personal power. Could you just talk to me a little bit about how in a conflict where it is two other people, what sort of things do we need to think about in relation to power? Power is such a fascinating word. I find my response to it really interesting because I think that it's almost a dirty word. Like power <laughs> is something that shouldn't be flexed and shouldn't really be taken into account when you think about a conversation between two people because all people should be able to come together as equals. But unfortunately, power does exist and certainly lots of people are very aware of it. So I think my approach to to power and different stations between people is that if you can foster a collaborative environment and encourage them to acknowledge and accept that different viewpoints can help to create a very healthy discussion and probably better problem solving in a team environment than someone saying, well, I'm the boss, so this is how it's going to be. I think that's a really positive step forward uh, to helping resolve conflict because I suppose having people respect positions of power is actually a really dangerous thing and we see that quite a lot in medicine where you have junior doctors not being able to question senior doctors and then potentially accidents happening or things being missed because of that fear and the hierarchy that's present which certainly the aviation industry seems to have worked really well. Actually it's interesting because when we think about power we do tend to think of it as a negative connotation rather than looking at power and influence. There's very much a continuum from the very positive to the very negative, isn't there? Absolutely. And I suppose there's that sense of power can be used for many very good things, but perhaps a nice word for it then is influence rather than power. And lots of people do have very strong influence over their colleagues and their patients as well, which, of course, we always hope is used in a a positive manner rather than a negative one. So I'm thinking a little bit more about power and conflict. And I guess, you know, in a practice situation where we would have a team with various skill sets and also different perceptions of power. And just listening to you, I'm thinking that it's important for the recognition of individuals' strengths in power. Because I guess I'm just thinking, you know, the practice manager will have a a set of skills, but also that relationship with the administration team, for example. And you know, in a situation of conflict, just understanding where those power and influences are within a team? Absolutely. I think 
knowing your team really well and understanding what they're capable of and what their limitations are is so valuable for being able to help people overcome differences or move past conflict because you can't expect somebody who perhaps doesn't have good interpersonal skills to suddenly go up to a colleague and say, hey, you know what, I'm really sorry about what I said the other day. That was really not appropriate and I'd like to talk to you about how we can work better. They're just not going to be able to do that. But the other colleagues may be able to do that. So I think if you can know your team, you know, intimately really, know the great detail about what they're capable of, it can help you to negotiate things in a way that people feel comfortable with and safe with, which will no doubt enhance your standing as a leader and, and help your team to respect you because you obviously care about them as individuals. So let's move on to techniques for de-escalating conflict. And I guess I'd like to separate the conflict that isn't where we are in ourselves, we're outside, and then move to when it's with us. So can you just talk me through some of the techniques you use for de-escalating conflict? Certainly looking at conflict between other people, I think trying not to avoid it, but actually bring it to the forefront of a conversation and say, look, I'm aware that things haven't been going that well between you both, but also not making assumptions. So giving them a chance to explain how they're feeling about what's happening. And that might be something that you could do in a group with both parties or multiple parties if there's more than two people, or it might be something you need to tease out with them as individuals if you don't feel that they have the capacity or the ability to speak about how they're feeling in front of the other person. And I think that gives you a chance to establish a sense of how emotionally invested in the issue each person is. And that gives you a chance to perhaps more delicately work towards a resolution. That certainly works if it's a conflict that's rumbling, I guess. What if it was a conflict that was much more sudden? Yeah, like a, perhaps a, a waiting room confrontation between two people. <laughs> yes. or a, a <laughs> about the local football. Gosh, look, I think initially you've really got to think about just calming down that adrenaline because generally when people are angry, I think almost always you can draw that back to them being fearful about something. So they might be fearful that the other person is going to take away an opportunity that they should have themselves or injure them in some way. And so reducing that adrenaline, perhaps encouraging them to go to a quiet space or certainly move away from each other and return to the conversation later, I think is a good approach because nobody communicates well when they're scared or angry or hurt. And so allowing them a chance to engage their parasympathetic pathways and think is the absolute most important thing. Because when we are in a conflict situation, some of us have that difficulty to actually articulate what we're wanting, you know, to be assertive without being aggressive. But then I also think the other component is I mean, some people are just more naturally competitive and they will win at all costs. So I think, you know, the role in managing conflict of others is even just having an understanding where they sit as well, you know, what their level of assertiveness is and what their level of competitiveness is as well. Absolutely. And that's really a part of of knowing the people around you, isn't it? Like it generally is a lot easier to manage conflict between people that you know well than people that you've just met. So 
you know, another very common example in general practice is that aggressive new patient who might be looking for drugs. You don't know them at all. You have no idea what their motivations are or what they can do to soothe themselves. So it's really hard to work with that person. But yeah, I agree. If you know what skill set a person has and whether they can be assertive or whether they tend to be more passive, that's a good starting point for helping to work towards a positive outcome. What do you do to de-escalate conflict when you're part of it? What skills, what techniques? Look, I think, yeah, it comes back to that adrenaline thing, really trying to slow a conversation down. So if I've got someone in front of me and, you know, that could be a family member or a friend or colleague or patient who's getting worked up and I can see that we're disagreeing on a point, I try to be very mindful of how I'm feeling. So, you know, slow down my speech, slow down my breathing, even take a moment just to sit quietly so that I'm not escalating myself and then try to extend that to them and use questions like, I'm feeling really uncomfortable at the moment. How are you feeling? And that might give them an opportunity to express how they're feeling and slow down a little bit as well. Again, avoiding making assumptions is extremely important because there's nothing worse than feeling angry at someone and for them to say, well, clearly you you think this and, and they're completely wrong. Everybody gets even angrier. So I think that's really important. You know, being inquisitive and not being prescriptive, I suppose, you know, allowing them to explain how they're feeling and what their values are and what they're looking for the outcome to be rather than suggesting what you think the outcome should be. You know, I think that's a really important part of it. Really actively saying, no, I'm taking a back seat. I'm not getting engaged. I'm allowing them to explain themselves and I'm going to stay calm is the most important thing that I can do in de-escalating conflict. And that follows through what you were talking about earlier, stepping back or, or the concept of standing on a balcony and watching yourself do something as well. Definitely. It's something that I've probably only learned in the last few years is being able to control your own emotions almost all the time. And, you know, you can get that natural fizz and heat of feeling angry about something and wanting to talk really loudly or yell and and get the result you want, but it never works. People don't listen when you're yelling and they don't take anything on board. So there's nothing more valuable than remaining calm at all times. Conflict experiences can be quite exhausting, even if we manage the process well. It might be exhausting because we've had all of the adrenaline running, or it might be exhausting because we didn't get our own way. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I guess after a conflict situation, there does need to be some recovery. How do you recover from a conflict situation? Yeah, it's such a valuable concept, isn't it? Not only for conflict, but for everything in life, everything that we do, we need a chance to rest and recover. So I think recovering from conflict, initially, I allow myself to feel the emotion of what I've been through, whether that's the slow grumbling conflict or that really acute explosive conflict, because we're all human and emotion is very important. So giving myself probably five minutes to just run with it and, you know, imagine how the conversation could have gone and I should have said that. But then having a stop point and taking a deep breath and saying, okay, it's done. It is what it is. And, you know, the outcome may have been good. It might have been bad. But right now I'm going to put it aside. I'm just going to do some slow breathing and really calm down that emotional response again. And then I think 
some of the longer term recovery things is thinking about debriefing. So talking to anyone that's relevant that should know about what's happened. So that might be colleagues or it might be family members, could be friends, particularly medical friends if it's work related because they you know, they have different experiences in their own practices. So it can be good to yeah, collaborate with, with their ideas and, and my own experiences. And self-care, you know, self-care that you do all the time. So going for a run or doing some exercise so you get that positive rush of endorphins and more clarity of thought because that exhaustion is really difficult, I think, because you often do then start to think in ways that aren't helpful and can lead to more issues. So looking after your brain so that you can think clearly, to me, is really, really important in any recovery. I really like how you've talked about the short-term recovery and like, you know, giving yourself permission to sulk for five minutes. But then, you know, the long-term, the debriefing and the self-care. Yeah, that's really, really good advice. Natalie, thank you so much for spending time with Suddenly I'm a Leader. Thank you for having me, Anne. That brings us to the end of this podcast. Till next time, goodbye and be kind to each other.